Welcome to No Challenges remaining on day eight of the French Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg, delighted to be rejoined for the second time during this Grand Chalem, as they say in French, by our Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tumani Carriol. Tumani, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me. It's my job, clearly. No, absolutely. There's, there's big responsibilities to come with the double title of Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent. <laughs> this first day of fourth round matches, first day of the second week at the French Open, and there's only eight singles matches, so I think we have time to pretty much talk about every match, basically. Let's start with the headline match, which was the result on the women's side, top line of the women's draw. Simona Hallett playing against Iga Sviantek, who we had said on the show yesterday, you know, it could be a tough match. Iga obviously has been playing well, uh, but did lose to Hallett very lopsided last year, 1-0, and I think, or 0-1, she won one in, game. In, in 45 minutes, yes. In 45 minutes. And so today, the scoreline was again lopsided, 6-1, 6-2. However, Iga Sviantek is on the right side of it this time, just bullying Simona Halep, was up 6-1, 4-1, I think, in this match, and yeah. was very in control and had really incredible stats. And Halep's, the parts, I, I woke up to, to Sviantek already being up a set in a break, you know, in well less than an hour when I woke up like 45 minutes late or something for the start of play in Paris. And yeah, it looked like Sviantek was just the better player and... You can say, number one, how it should find ways to problem solve and, and win this match or change momentum, but she was dealing with a, a player who was super on fire, and it seemed at least like the narrative that I saw from most people who were watching was that it was just about Sviantek being incredible, not about Simona flopping, per se. What, oh, what, yeah. was your, what was your read on the match? Yeah, like, after the first set, Halep had two unforced errors, and she'd lost it 6-1. You know, yeah. she was just, from from the, like, moment it, the match started, Sviantek was just hit, just winner after winner after winner you know crushing her back and her forehand was just devastating like she's so aggressive and she's also really like create creative and just the way she you know with her top heavy topspin forehand with you know she threw in like drop shots and mm -hmm. a couple of nice wallies so it's just it was the whole package and you know you saw like her athleticism as well so it was yeah Halep didn't you know of course I think that the criticism like the correct criticism of Halep is that she it's quite what she's one dimension one dimensional you know yeah. she's obviously she's a, an amazing athlete and she's also an amazing ball striker but she, you know if someone's treating against her as Shrontek was she doesn't really have much she doesn't she can't mix things up with slices or, or or I don't know loopy balls or come to the net and that was really exposed and she just couldn't really do much she she fought hard in the second set she saved, I think, in total nine break points in, in two of her, her service games. But this was a 19-year-old who was inspired and playing incredibly well. It's interesting what you say, the one-dimensional thing, because you're right in that Halp does not have a deep bag of tricks, per se, right? But what she yeah. does do, she does incredibly well. Like, her one gear is so great that she's number one in the world. You know, and not through, I think, the traditional sort of one gear people think of, which is being a ball basher. But she has this, like, sort of medium all-around game within reason without but no slices you know not many sort of variety change of pace type things she just runs and hits very well yeah so, um, so i guess it's i guess it's like two gears and she can she no yes. in, in the sense that she can like at times you know she can defend and just be really yeah. physical and, and lengthen points other times she can step up onto the baseline and redirect everything and bring her back in into it but you know more beyond that she's not going to be disrupting a player's game and that's yeah an she's issue not a disruptor when yeah exactly yeah. So Simona is out. She was as prohibitive a favorite, I think, as we've had in women's tennis in a Grand Slam in a while. Yeah. Courtney, I were talking about this yesterday as being Simona against the field, and that felt right. And now the field won one and two in the fourth round. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly, like, you know, take out Serena. The last time a player was this heavy of a favorite, it's, yeah, it's been a long... Maybe like, gosh, maybe like an Enin at the French kind of thing. Yeah, something Realistically, like that, yeah. Yeah. You take out Serena. Yeah, I know, like, Naomi, I thought Naomi was a favorite to win the U.S. Open, and she did, but I don't think she was this clear a favorite as no, Simona was. No, absolutely not. So, uh, so Simona is out. Is this a, should she be disappointed? Should she just be, you know, what can you do? And in, in press, she basically said her plan was to to eat chocolate and to move on another day. Like, you know, just to, to not worry about it. I think particularly just, I think the, the good thing with Simona is that I think she, she seemed to understand that these are, in general, just like these are weird times, and 
why yeah. why am I going to be like getting upset over a tennis result when we're in the middle of a pandemic and so you know she's happy to go home and you know she was saying like she's going to walk around and you know not be stuck in the a, a bubble or whatever well that's not really a bubble but <laughs> stuck indoors so no I, I think it I think particularly right now you should really be a lot of players I think are taking their losses in their stride when maybe it wouldn't be the case yeah. if things were normal. I and I'm all for people striding along during during quarantine. Absolutely. Be kind to yourself during these times. Yes. There are remarkably so Shvantec is unseated, she's ranked fifty fourth, I believe. There are remarkably more qualifiers than seeds <laughs> in the top half quarterfinals. I'm I doubt that's ever happened before. Who would ever think that would happen? Uh, Martina Trevisan as the first days qualifiers. We're going to talk about Martina Trevisan wins over Kiki Burton's number five, six, four, six, four. And I got to say, once Halep lost and I flipped over to the Burton's match, Burton's was, I think it just gotten it back, was just getting it back on serve in the second set at four five. And I, and I tweeted and I really believed if Burton's wins this set, she's my pick to win the French open. Like, I think the draw opens up for her here big, you know, she's been playing okay minus that crazy irani match she bounced back from that well beating siniakova two and two that was a very impressive scoreline and result yeah she's a great clay court player we think that she likes playing in these empty stadiums you know a lot of things would work well for her potentially and then she dropped serve and trevis on one four and four so again with the caveat of not being harsh on anybody Martina Trevisan's run has been incredible and she's beaten so many people i mean these are she barely had a top 100 win before this week yeah, uh, and now she's beaten Camilla Georgie, Coco Goff, Maria Sakari, and Kiki Burton. So that's like that's not an easy run. These uh, are all real tennis players. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and different ones too. And like, yeah, those are. I mean, beating Georgie and Sakari, that's a completely different skill set, right? And yeah. Burton's is a whole different thing too. And Coco Goff is an amazing competitor. Like these are four really, yeah. really tough wins, and she got yeah. all of them. And it hasn't looked watching her. It hasn't looked fluky per se. Like her game looks solid like she's yeah, a she... lefty big sweeping forehand like i've liked watching her a lot her attitude has been fantastic to see what if, what have you seen from from trevisan that gets her in this in this quarter i mean on her attitude i think the obvious moment was against coco golf when she was you know she she was deep in the third set she was serving for the match and it was like juice and then there was a contentious call yeah and then the umpire came down and she thought the mark was wrong I have no idea but she was really convinced that the mark was wrong and you know we've seen kind of all week players like arguing marks and then arguing and then arguing and then arguing and she just let it go and that was kind of indicative of of her attitude and yeah she, she as you said like she's she's a very small lefty and but she's quite like you know like the the match the match point for example that the lob on on match point yeah she, she's very resourceful she has really nice drop shots yeah as i said against Bur- burton's on the match point it looked like burton's was She'd moved to the net. It looked like she was going to win the point, and then Trevor just put up this this massive lob, and it took this. It spent like an hour in the air, and you saw Burton's like she turned her, she turned around. She like looked out. You could tell she was preparing for the next point, and then it just dropped in, yeah. and it was just it was really impressive. And yeah, she looks like she belongs, which is crazy since she's twenty six years old. She'll be twenty seven next month. And she's been she's been doing this for so long, and she's there's been no indication. No, I know the name. I'd seen the name yeah. before, having never Same watched here. her. I don't think I'd seen the name in plenty of draws. I think I'd encounter her in tennis elbow potentially, and she was you know not some who people sort of knew who. She, I mean, Burns had played her before, yeah. And they sort of people knew who she was, but it's cool seeing somebody do things they didn't know they could do, right? But at the same time, she looks really comfortable when you're watching her play. Just her point craft and everything she looks really composed and experienced out there like everything she's doing looks really well thought out and and measured and smart and i've really enjoyed i haven't watched a ton of her matches but i've really enjoyed the parts where i've seen she seems very composed and she has her her backstory of overcoming her battle with anorexia yeah Uh, and you know i that I feel like coming through something like that, not to make it into a trite, you know, quick tagline for her, but overcoming something like that, I feel like has given her a lot of self-belief and a lot of belief in her own endurance and capability and yeah. also perspective too. And it just seems like she's playing with this, with this ease of, of mind now. That's, that's really cool to see. Yeah. Regard, like regarding the perspective, you know, again, against golf, like they were like, 
screaming at each other basically after winning points and and you know you, you could see her like just laughing you know when she'd lose a point and Garth would like yeah. scream come on and she'd be like you know she she you could tell that she was enjoying herself and yeah it's just you know particularly as you know it would be one thing if this was like a really a huge hitter who spent you know who just had never gotten it together but then did it here but she's so small and I don't know as you said like she she's matching with these players physically and lasting in long rallies and coming up with really like smart you know getting out of points really intelligently so that's that's really impressive to see it's, it's been good so so a tough loss for burton's again a big win for trevisan we now have a sviantek trevisan quarterfinal yes. which and i'll say this again about Podoroska, who's in the next section to get but like sviantek trevisan would not have been a first round we were circling it's like an exciting one and now it's a quarterfinal like yeah. again, Trevisan versus Podoroska would not have been a first round qualifying match anyone would have been particularly excited about. And it could be a Grand Slam semifinal or two matches away from that. So yeah. these are remarkable times in this in this draw, which you know, Courtney and I were saying yesterday, like, could this draw go and be really chalk and have the favorites come through or be kind of a, a, a free for all with all these complete noobs, you know? And Day this day eight was more for the noobs. This, this is a win for, for the, the noobs. noobs. They they got most of them. The one who survived of the of the big seeds was number three, Elena Svitolina, who won six one six three over Caroline Garcia. Actually, a match that I thought you know could have been more competitive. Garcia had beaten her in recent meetings and been playing well, beating Elise Mertens. Uh, really tough draw for Garcia, beating Kontaveit Sasnovich, and then Mertens to get Svitolina. So maybe she just ran out of gas there, but. Uh, that was uh, a big win for Svitolina because now she's in a huge position to be the overwhelming favorite to make her first Grand Slam final, getting the winner, getting Nadia Podoroska next to beat Krejcikova in three sets, and then getting the winner of Sviantek versus Trevisan. This feels like Svitolina's to lose. I think that's fair, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Particularly just, you know, it feels like a lot has led up to this. You know, obviously in the past, she was known as the player who did really well in the WTA and then didn't do well at slams but her slam results have improved a lot mm-hmm. kind of over the past year and and after starting this year bad, quite badly she's since the restart like she's she's found her form and she won strats for coming into this so every for me like everything's I, I actually thought she'd make make the final when Halep was in it which is a mm. hot take but so yeah but at the same time it's funny because she's the favorite but if it's a Svitolina Shriontek semi-final, Shriontek would could just take the racket out of her hands. Yeah, that's that's the possibility. So, and even more than someone like a Halep who has more slightly more firepower. Yeah, and Svitolina's done well against Halep, and maybe Shriontek has that. Shriontek will control her destiny with how she plays in mm-hmm. a way, probably against a player like Svitolina, who's a baseline sort of counterpuncher. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like that's her. That's her basic. I mean, baseline not as yeah. She is literally on the baseline, but that her the base of her game is being a counterpuncher. Is what I was yeah. trying to say there. Yeah, Svitolina's career has oftentimes mirrored and tracked along with uh, Zverev's. They've been very similar results. They've both been you know Rome champs. They both won the year end championships. Zverev just made his first Slam finals. But transition to the men here. Zverev was in the marquee match of the men's day. Uh, the one that I certainly had circled for a while in this draw, which was him taking on uh, Yannick Sinner. The 19-year-old ginger from Austrian part of <laughs> Italy, uh, and this was on Long Lawn, and Sinner came out ready to play right away. I just never knew with this match because we're really pretty close to the end because Zverev has had so many matches where he has, you know, let the other player kind of dictate early and just sort of hung around until they get worn out and rope-a-doped, I guess is how you would call it. But Sinner, to his credit, like kept landing punch after punch after punch after punch and did not wear out because and, and impressively there was a surprising stat when i was looking at the ibm sort of stats thing from roland garros that center was actually doing much better in the rallies the nine or more shots he won like uh 70 percent of those roughly maybe 60 something percent yeah. like that was where the match was won and lost and actually zverev did better on the short points which i'm guessing was mostly cheap points he got on his serve or maybe right yeah. after the serve Sinner wins 6-3, 6-3, four, 6-6-3. Uh, let's just talk about the match first before we get into this Zverev's other stuff. But what did you make of this match and this effort from from Sinner, who, I got to say, I've been, I said this on Twitter as well, I've been so drunk on Sinner Kool-Aid for, for you know well over a year, and you were with me at that match <laughs> at, at Roehampton last year against great... Alex Bolt, the best match of 2019. Absolutely, yeah. And so I feel like we've been so deep in Sinner 
that I kind of had to remind myself, oh, wait, he's actually never done anything like this before. Like he has no, I don't know if he had many top 10 wins before beating Sitsipas. I'm not sure how many top 10 wins he had, but he did not really had a bunch of big wins. Certainly nothing like this, no run at a slam previously. And I think this was his first third round at a slam even here. So now he's into a quarterfinal beating Zverev, the US Open champ. What did he make of today's match and the effort from from Sinner and, and Zverev too? Yeah, it, it was just, you know, he's he's obviously, he came into the match playing well and he just stepped stepped on the court and just di- dictated from the, the first point. You know, he's such a, a great ball striker. Like his, you know, he, he's, like his ball striking is destructive, but he also has great timing and it's so clean. And yeah, he just dominated. And, and then when he, and then when, it, and, and as you said, like there were longer rallies where he had to, you know, rein in his targets to hit down the middle to break down the Zverev forehand and all of those things. Like he 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 did well and he 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 mixed things up. And then you know what was most impressive for me was kind of as you said, we've seen so many you know times when players when players have been up on Zverev and you know and he he comes back. You know he waits until they're tired and they're nervy, and that could have happened today. Yeah. And you know after he lost the third set and then in, in and then in the fourth set where there were like quite a couple of really tight service games and, and one in particular like where where Zverev was just putting the I think it was that early on at like two love or something when Zverev was just putting the ball back just just putting it down the middle yeah. and doing nothing and but he like he weathered the storm and you know came out of it and managed the service games and so yeah it was just a really impressive and mature performance this is the first like beginning to end Sasha Zverev match. I think that I've watched this entire time or close to it. Cause I remember during the men's final, I was doing a wheelchair story. So I didn't watch even that whole match start to finish. And seeing Zverev do this so dedicatedly throughout the entire course of a match was remarkable. And I do, I'm not going to say I like enjoyed it more, but I understood how it works. And cause he was very dedicated to it this time. This was not a time like in some of the other matches, like against Chorich, right? Where Chorich, he sort of early on did the pushing thing and then eventually swung it. And then third and fourth sets, he started hitting out yeah. more. Here, he never really switched to being fully aggressive. He was occasionally coming in behind some first serves and stuff, but his default to hang so far back and just make center hit more more balls. And his that must have been his playbook. He must have thought this kid's going to miss. Like I give him enough balls and he'll miss. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he made him hit a lot of balls. They were not tough balls. This was quantity over quality, but Zverev yeah. kept getting back shot to shot to shot, and and Sinner really didn't blink. But but Zverev was going for nothing. I mean, Zverev was like really, I think, finished with something less than twenty winners in the match. I want to say, yeah, uh, in four sets, in four like not super short sets either in terms of games. Like that's crazy. Against Sinner's not like an amazing defender, and it's not like Sinner was taking the racket out of his hand. He was choosing not to play. In this way, and 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 it, like you said, it has worked for him. It finally didn't work for him, and maybe this whole thing has been a validation of this strategy. It's a, it's a lot like to me, like Wozniacki circuit twenty eleven. Like you can't say it doesn't work when the wins are there, but you also feel like he's such a good player and he's ceding control of the match. You know, he is saying in yeah. this way, Zverev is leaving it up to Sinner how this match goes, and. Sinner was good enough to not let that happen. Maybe maybe he'd gotten lucky-ish in the kind of matchups he's gotten in late rounds recently with Chorich and Cranio Busta, that they are not huge ball strikers who are going to, you know, really hit, 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 hit until your defenses break down. I don't know. It was it was great to see this. I did not know that Sinner had that in him. It was clear that yeah. Zverev made this match really tough for him. As much as, like, as much as I was not fond of Zverev's tactics... I'm not saying that at any level Sinner got the match handed to him. He still had to clear a very annoying repeated hurdle that that yeah. that Zverev was putting out there for him. Yeah, and yeah, and and I mean it, it does like Zverev's tactics do work because he has very like specific uh, strength in that he's so tall and he serves so well, but he's also so quick, and so that's just kind of I think he just he just falls back on it too much and it's become habitual and it's become him doing that over and over again and sorry I just and, and as you say like because he's won matches doing it he does it again and yeah again so I, I wonder how much of it is this and I'll, I will see how much how many tournaments he plays we'll get into him the next part of his story today later but I wonder how much of this is him because obviously early in his career right he got knocked for not being able to bring it in best of five right and how this was his shortcoming. He won three Masters events, but was really struggling to make even slam quarterfinals. He only made his first slam semifinal this year in Australia after having won 
London after having you know won three Masters titles, maybe made another final or something like that in Miami against Isner, I think. Uh, he maybe more than that too. I'm not sure if he's made another final off the top of my head. I wonder how much he was sort of like, I'm gonna make myself the ultimate best of five player. And to me, best of five is about attrition, right? And so he's playing this style. I can't remember anybody really doing this before that I can think of. The style that seems really suited for the format. He's trying to use every corner of the scoreboard <laughs> in order to outlast people in these matches. And, and you know, and like I said, this actually is a testament to, to best of five in some ways because it backs up my sort of debate when people say like, which is one of the stupidest things. Like when somebody is up two sets to one and then loses, people were like, oh, well, he would have won that match if it was best of three. Like, no, that's not how best of five works on any level. Like racers run the race differently based on where the finish line is. And that's what I'm saying Zverev does. Like the match management is really clear from Zverev. Like he doesn't mind going down a set. He doesn't even panic going down two sets in these matches. He is He knows how far the finish line is and he's willing to build up himself to get there. Um, so I'm, one, I'm curious to see if Zverev starts playing way more actively in best of three matches when the tour resumes, when he starts playing ATP best of three sets again, because I don't think he thinks that people are going to wilt in a best of three match the way they might in a best of five. That's, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. Yeah. I think, you know, certainly he's very prideful of the fact that he's gotten more and more fit mm-hmm. and, and that, and so he's prideful of the fact that he, he's able to win these best of five matches. Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> It just feels like an overcorrection almost, yeah. you know, like he, yeah. he, he, he turned what was a perceived weakness into a strength, but he sort of lost his, what had made him good elsewhere a little bit in the process. Yeah. Because funny... people who don't remember when he was winning master's titles in Rome and Canada and Madrid, like he did it in London, he did it by being an aggressive baseliner, yeah. mostly solid, yeah. but like aggressive hitting backhand winners baseliner. Yeah. yeah. Now he can't buy a winner. And we've we've seen kind of how actually this year he's done nothing in ATP events, and it's it's only in those in the you know his his ATP records is quite abysmal, and then and then he's been able to reach the second week of slams consistently. So yeah, it's just and I, I mean I do think part of it is just conf- confidence as well, and the fact that you know last year he had his his issues with his second serve and also his forehand, and so that's him trying to be as just as high percentage as possible. I, I don't think all, you know, the hangover from what what happened last year, I don't think that's all gone. And partly that's, I think, why we're seeing it. What do you mean, what happened last year? Not just in terms of him having the first kind of dip in his career and, you know, he had mm-hmm. the serve problems. And, I mean, that was obviously linked with things outside of the court. But, right, right. you know, I, I don't think that he's he's fully recovered his level and his confidence and his ability to, you know, as you said, as, as he came up, just, you know, some, you know, like... What, you know, he'd played some top players and he'd step into the court and show some, like, ama- you know, at his best, he's so he's he's so impressive because yeah. he has so much to his game. You know, he can serve. He, he's a de- decent enough returner. Like, his backhand's great. He, he can attack, you know, he can attack his forehand. There's so much. So, yeah. I, dis- I disagree that his confidence is gone. I think he just found confidence in an unexpected place this year because the confidence, I don't think, is in short supply with Zverev. I don't think it's I mean, been the issue this year. It, I mean, confidence in general. I mean, he has plenty of confidence in general. But like his confidence in his forehand, that still breaks down. You know, mm. that's still going to break. You you know that's the thing that was, is going to break down at some point. Same with his second serve. I mean, some of the his starts in, in his matches in the US Open were just, I mean, horrible tennis. It's just horrific tennis. Like against Chorich, that was just... that. I, do, I don't even want to think about that. That's how bad it was. So, so yeah, but I mean... Well, yes, we'll, we'll see just, what, just, what he looks I, like. Yeah, I just see him taking pride in, the, in that match like so much. Cause yeah. a certain, like I said, it was a certain kind of winning he hadn't done before. Yeah. And he seemed to really enjoy that uh, unlocking that achievement. So yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So Sinner, sorry. So Zverev in the first set of this match received a visit from the doctors uh, who gave him some sort of nasal spray that he, you know, sprayed up both of his nostrils and tilted back and did whatever. And then after the match, and there have been some reports in German media that I think he had been suffering from a cold or something. And then after the match, um, let me actually play a clip of Zverev talking about his, his symptoms. No, uh, it was uh, nothing in my body. I'm completely sick. Uh, after the match of Cincinnato in the night, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. What can I say? I'm completely sick. I can't really breathe, as you can hear by my voice. Uh, I had fever 
you know, as well. So, yeah, I'm not in the best physical state, I would say. And uh, I think that had a little bit of an effect on the match today. To be honest, I warmed up today. I, I shouldn't have played. Um, but I was hoping for maybe for a three-set win or something like that. But uh, I knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> so, Tumani, Zverev was wearing a mask in this press conference. He was there talking about his symptoms. And even, honestly, even when the medical timeout happened, I was immediately thinking like, uh-oh, somebody looks sick during a pandemic. Right? Here <laughs> Which we is go. What we we've, look, yeah. we, we've seen this from Grigor Dimitrov at Adriator playing sick. We saw this from Francis Tiafo at the Atlanta exhibition event playing sick. We do not know, um, especially because he hasn't been tested in five days, according to, to the FFT, whether or not Sacha Zverev has coronavirus, whether or not some other illness or, or what, what is going on with him. Um, but it was very alarming to see this fourth round match featuring a guy who was looking a little bit unwell. His play wasn't, didn't seem that compromised. He was running like crazy. That's the other thing that kind of struck me. It was like, if you're not feeling great, why is your strategy? I'm going to make this physical completely. Mm -hmm. That didn't, I didn't totally buy that. And then, yeah, what, what, what was your thoughts on, on Zverev and, and the revelations of, of the illness during, during press? It's just... (laughs) I mean, as you said, you know, f- from my perspective, w- when I see a player or just someone sick, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you look sideways, you're, you're wondering whenever it happened. And yeah. so it's just so bizarre to see that, you know, still after all that's happened, after all the criticism he's received, like part part of it doesn't seem to be computing. You know, it's not just the fact that he went on court. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get to the details about about him. As you said, you know, he hadn't been tested in in five days and all of that stuff but the fact that he went into his press conference and then the first answer he said was i'm sick i can't breathe i had a fever you, like do you not know how, how that ridiculous that sounds you know if and if he hadn't said anything then i mean we would not i mean we may not be talking about it now we know? wouldn't be as sure for yeah sure. exactly i mean he saw he so basically the rules and I'll, i can read some from the rule book here or for, not from the i don't know if it's exactly the rule book but basically the health protocols document which was distributed to the players and other accredited personnel i believe at the french open um because he sort of self-reported to the media right what his symptoms were he he, he told us the media uh, some of whom he was happy to see others less so um, <laughs> what his symptoms were um and here's what it says in the Rule books. I'm going to read two parts of the rule book. Basically, so here's what to do if you're feeling symptomatic. And it says sympt- here, symptoms of COVID-19 in this list include fever, br- dry cough, breathing difficulties, muscle pain, severe fatigue, loss of taste and or smell, and diarrhea. Anyone presenting with this symptoms as being indicative of COVID-19 contamination will have to. And then so, but let's just pause there. So he has at least two of those self-reported fever and breathing difficulties, possibly fatigue. He was seeming like he said he was dead. Um, and so if you do that, then, and your accredited person have already arrived on site. So following the little flow chart here, you are told to report to a stadium infirmary. They will direct you, they, they will be directed to the COVID-19 unit where a consultation room is dedicated to any suspected COVID-19 cases. Depending on the clinical assessment, a nasal swab may be taken in the COVID-19 unit for the purpose of a test to detect the SARS-CoV-2 genome, uh, which is carried out in the lab. Pending the result of that test, the suspected case person, exactly clean up the English a little bit here, suspected case person is excluded from the stadium, which means grounds, and required to self-isolate. So basically, had Zverev done what the rules had said he would do and presented with his symptoms, he almost certainly would have been given a test as being symptomatic, and he would have been out of the tournament. He would have been told to self-isolate and told to leave the grounds, and Sinner would have gotten a walkover. Um, that's not what happened. And there's also this clause on earlier in the document, which is sort of in more of their mission statement, like, you know, raison d'etre section, to use a French word. Uh, the health protocol for the tournament is based on the following principles, a few of them. And then one of the last one is calling on a sense of civic duty and responsibility on the part of all accredited people and spectators to comply with health measures, including outside the stadium. Anyone showing symptoms, same list, fever, dry cough, breathing difficulties, muscle pain, severe fatigue, loss of taste, and or smell, diarrhea, must ex- must adopt a responsible attitude and not attend the stadium. So Zverev didn't do that either. He had the no, symptoms he and he came to the stadium, didn't, according to the tournament, the tournament said he did not uh, 
talk to the doctors was the term as official word today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it had been, he was supposed to I guess, do to get tested, I guess, again tomorrow. Um, he, they were only doing testing every five days, which is much less than the US Open was doing, I believe. And they also were not doing temperature checks at the entrance to the grounds, which the US yeah. Open was also doing with one of those forehead thermometers. Yeah. And they were so, also doing like um, uh, symptom checks where, checklists where they had to, where players yeah. had to like describe the sim- if they have symptoms and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. so so right, yeah. So in the U.S. Open, there's a there's a degree of self-reporting, which is that symptom checklist. I mean, you have to you get forced to do it, but you could still lie, but yeah. you couldn't really lie if you had it running a, a, a detectable fever. And I don't know if Sasha was at a detectable fever level when he was entering the grounds today, or what, or yesterday, um, if he was on the grounds yesterday. But what what do you make of this? Because it seems like to me, you know, both Zverev and the tournament have real responsibility here that they screwed up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, equally on both of them. Yeah, I mean, from the tournament part, we, we've we've heard kind of, I mean, in general about players saying that there's not much, it's, this isn't a bubble and blah, blah, blah. There isn't much stopping them from doing certain things. And, you know, in comparison to New York. Yeah, I, I, exactly. And so we, we know, I mean, we knew back in Adriato that for these tournaments to, to be sure that these tournaments have a good chance of functioning well, like there has to be a degree of, Make, making sure that players that there is not force but like that there are firmer regulations in place and so that's clearly where the tournament has failed and where you know you have to know whether or someone has symptoms you have to make sure that you know and and on Zverev's part I just I, I'm just puzzled honestly but, but because you know I, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast but I, I anticipated players who would have symptoms I wouldn't expect them to like say them you know I, I would expect them to hide it to try and yeah. get on the court to, to you know to delay as much as they can to play the tournament but the fact that he again that he was so willing to say it in his press conference is just it's just another degree of kind of arrogance you know that almost yeah. like it it, it it seems to me like it cut his his perspective is that it couldn't really happen to him you know you know it, even you if know. it happened to both his parents exactly yeah yeah Exactly, and, and that's that, I don't and know. His Adria tour buddies. Yeah, and there's no, there's no kind of, I don't, I'm just, yeah. It's just the fact that he he's he said it to the to the press. Oh, it's, it's it's yeah. It's not super impressive. No, I mean from him, like, and I think Zverev has been a protagonist in this particular topic. You know, since Adria tour and since the video after Adria tour of him, when he test, said he tested negative. Uh, after the Adria tour tests and then went out partying um, mm-hmm. near Monaco or in Monaco. I'm not sure where exactly that was uh, in that party, you know, with Kanye playing. Yeah. Dancing, and yeah. Da- in, 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 in Paris. <laughs> dancing in Paris. Uh, in, um, you know, I, I, I think it's Sasha Vickery said, like, breaking all those rules just to dance that offbeat. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Zverev is not making life easy. He's not handled this well at all. This no. whole time. He's no. not been impressive. He's not done things the right way. And... We knew that, right? So for then the French Open to make a system that is so based on trust of players and self-reporting and has these big five-day holes for, like, yeah. there's only, folks, only 16 players left in each singles draw today. You should, you can and should be testing them every day yeah. because yeah. this compromises the rest of the draw. If Zverev, we don't know that he's positive still. Let's repeat that. We do not know that he has COVID. He could just be otherwise ill. Which is still, people can gather illnesses and there's other things can get people sick. Not, COVID isn't the only, you know, boogie monster out there anymore. Yeah. And not that I'm saying most of the other illnesses are more minor. But he could have potentially affected Sinner. I asked Sinner about that today. Mm-hmm. And Sinner at first was like, no, I'm sure it's fine. And then by the end of the answer, he was like, well, I really have no idea of knowing. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm okay. And then uh, Team, he's good buddies with. And so potentially he's been hanging out with Team, you know, in locker room or in the hotel or something. I don't know. And... Maybe not, but they could have been, and they could be, have been. Boom! Two of the four set quarterfinalists, yeah. right there. And, and, uh, and just just to add on that, like yeah. they could have been. We, we don't know. We don't know what's stopping them from from doing so. You know. And then team could have been hanging out with you know I don't know Rafa or whoever. Like it could take out a lot of people potentially. And so the aggressive testing, letting it slip this much this late in the tournament from the French Open is a mess. So the French Open did not do this well. Like I said, you know, once the Monaco video came out from Zverev, and this I asked, you know, this was conversation we had about that answer from Stacey Allister and things like that like the players and by the players I mean certain players but they're a usual suspect very repeatedly in this conversation 
cannot be trusted to do the right to, to follow any of the civic duty and responsibility high-minded talk no. that the French Open is putting into print, right? That does not work. Like, that's naive. And I also wonder if, and you can maybe test to this as being a, a European as our Spain correspondent, if, like, the... <sighs> The guards are more down in Europe because you guys have been hit less hard than in the U.S. If the U.S. was more willing to be strict and to be like more in like battle mode with this thing and really putting in a lot of more firm, not the U.S. didn't have its own issues, it's been up here and everything like that. They had their, their own issues, but they were testing people a lot. They were not leaving. There was not too much honor system or trust built into the U.S. Open rules in the end. Um do you think that, that Europe is being more relaxed about this? And this goes to the French Open having fans and stuff too. It's just a different cultural aesthetic over there that, that got this issue going or what is it? I mean, I, I think it's partly the French Open just being, again, sorry to use the word, but quite arrogant and just, mm. I don't know. It, I don't think it's just Europe being lax because cases are rising. <laughs> you know, yesterday France reported nearly 17,000 new cases, you know, you should be on high alert and completely, you know, vigilant and making sure that this, that all those cases don't end up in your tournament. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's a reflection of kind of the maybe the priorities of the of the Roland Garros organization. And you know, you mentioned the the um the fans and how you know they 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 want <laughs> they were focused on money and um and those that kind of thing. And maybe safety wasn't really that much of an issue but yeah. I, I don't think it's a general kind of mentality i, I mean in, in general terms in in europe i, I should say that you know w w we had the first wave let's say and then and and it's in recent weeks that things are rising f f quite quickly again in m most countries and yeah. so I, I think most sane people should be on high alert right now and aware of what they're doing yeah. I am by no means obviously trying to say USA is doing better at this as a whole. <laughs> I say as our country's president is currently in the hospital uh, after, you know, a super spreader event at the literal White House in my hometown of Washington. Uh, so not great on any level there. So that's about that. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I just it hasn't all been impressive. It's still all of these moments. You know, as much as we talk about the tennis and the X's and O's and the, you know, the Podoroskos and stuff of, like, the actual results of the tournament, like, my ambivalence about whether or not this is a good idea for tennis to be doing any of this has not really ebbed significantly oh, yeah. during this comeback. Like, I still think the arrogance of thinking you can hold tennis, to use that repeated word, the arrogance of thinking you can hold tennis grand slams and it's a good idea mid-pandemic when, when this disease is still growing and still infecting and killing people... Um, I think is a lot. I think it takes some serious, whatever the French word is for chutzpah. I think it takes yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, other men's results. Less, <laughs> less to talk about here. Center next plays Rafael Nadal, who beat Sebastian Corda, the last American man left, 1-1-2. One, one, Very straightforward match for Nadal. Uh, what's your face there, Tommy? <laughs> uh, just just the, the Corda thing. I, I, I mean, on, on one hand, you know, the fact that he's the whole story that he's a huge fan and he named yeah. his dog Rafa and cat, on one hand cat, I mean cat, cat, cat. cat sorry I mean whatever <laughs> I mean on, on one hand it's I mean yeah I get it it's nice and cute and whatever and you know this is his first kind of experience so I get it but at the same time I, I do it, it is hard not to just kind of roll my eyes at you know just being like just the whole kind of narrative of the getting his I mean, shirt happened, signed at the game, the shirt signed afterwards. Yeah, and yeah, and just kind kind of you know this happens in general with players just kind of worshiping the big three and then playing like it. And I mean the 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 golf the gap and the golf is there already the ability and stuff, but it's just I don't know it it's not it's it's and it's not just him, but it's just never really a good look for me when I, that happened. I'm, I'm less cold-hearted about it i think i'm you, very cold-hearted <laughs> i know i know that's why you got the extremely you know reverential posts of spain and sub-saharan africa correspondent because we need someone tough and 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 cynical in that role but <laughs> you're right i mean i mean yeah sure he was probably not having a headspace to be in this but it's his first time playing like one of his big heroes we literally named his yeah. cat after and if you don't show up to your best there, you know, maybe you get the next time. I think the kind of, same kind of thing happened with Sviantek last year against Halep, right? She got, yeah. she showed up to someone she had idolized and got absolutely smoked 
and then the next time she came back and, and beat her. Yeah. So, but but she was like she was nervous. She she said she was crippled with nerves and, and things like that. Whereas I don't know, just some people just feel, feel, and it's not just him. It's just it reminds me of all the times seeing people just kind of. Uh, this was certainly a uh, thing, and this was certainly something that I talked about. Um, especially even like very early, like single digit episodes of NCR. I remember talking about this with thing. like pre Rosal, right? Rosal was somebody when he beat Nadal in the 2012 Wimbledon second round 2012 I think Wimbledon yeah uh he was the one of the first people who really seemed to have no deference right who was there showing up and just ready to like absolutely like believe you deserve to win and to like throw down with one of these big guys somebody that was not really deferential reverential you know reverent that was rare and maybe yeah maybe there's a throwback to that kind of thing again he's like 19 years old yeah. i'm not going to be too harsh it's, on this match it's, being it's not it's not specifically him i think old. i think i think i'm just triggered by him <laughs> fair i mean those were tough times when we had those years where people were not showing up to play against the the big four i mean like repeatedly the guys just weren't bringing their bets and so yeah maybe it was a throwback to that and obviously i think nadal at the french open with his what like 97 and 2 record now inspires that maybe more than anything else like and so we'll see how center does center's got nothing to lose uh i think can make it interesting hopefully i just don't know how center's going to handle nadal's ball they practice together a lot which i think will help center yeah other matches in this half uh let's start with the the, the undercard here diego schwartzman wins pretty routinely over lorenzo sonego 6-1-6-3-6-4 backing up his run to the rome final with run to the quarters here. He's been in quarters here before. We thought these conditions would be great for him, and they have been. He has not lost a set through four rounds here. So looking very solid. Loves, loving the low bounce, Diego. And he will take on Dominic Team in the quarterfinals after Team beat another shorter fellow. Uh, wild card Hugo Gaston, who played a, a great match and was hitting drop shots like crazy. Very fun, very flary kind of match. Uh, a very different way to be aggressive. Like his go-to play was drop shot lob. That was like plan A. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild to see yeah. that work. That implemented A, and then that would work that well uh, against the top three ATP guys. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, team survived 6-4, six, 6-4, four, six, four, then lost the second, sorry, then lost the third and fourth set 7-5-6-3 before coming back to win the fifth set 6-3. Thoughts on this match and, and on team and, and how team... I think team. I think if team had this much trouble against Gaston, he could be in real trouble against Schwartzman. Was my kind yeah. of take. So, so first on Gaston, as you said, it's just it's just kind of a breath of fresh air to see that kind of game style work against top players in consecutive matches. And yeah, because with the ATP, you know, I mean, you you get some variety, but you don't you. There there are rare. You know, there are rare players who are really small. Well, okay, go on. You well, no, well, that? here's the thing with ATP and variety. Here's my sort of take on it, right? Is that your average ATP player has a deeper arsenal of options and shots, right? Yeah. Like what we were talking about with Halep, where like she does a couple specific things very well. That's less mm-hmm. an ATP thing. But what you don't get in ATP is you don't get vastly different styles of player, right? That's you get a lot of people who are basically like power baseliners in the ATP or like some sort of like, whether they're a little bit punchy or a little bit counter punchy, they're kind of all like hard hitting baseline guys who can hit topspin, who can hit slice, can do various things. Um, but Gaston was very out of the, out of the mold. Yeah. Like in, in he... this way that reminds me of more sort of WTA type people, like your Kasakinas, your, your Vinci's even like, there's a lot yeah. more room for variety players in yeah. WTA. Yeah, because yeah, cause that, that's pretty much what I was going to say. Just like, as you said, like the drop shot was his main weapon. It wasn't like something to throw in when yeah. you're down or when you need to change things up. It was, you know, the only way he can beat these players is by throwing in drop shots and lobs and slices and mixing paces. And so that was just lovely to see. Um, and regards to team, I mean, I, I think, yeah, he, he, he said at the, towards the beginning of the tournament that at some point I'm going to get tired. I know it. And I think actually against Kaspar Ruud in the beginning, he looked like in the beginning of the match, he just looked, he was like huffing and puffing and it was just weird. But he got through that. And then, yeah, I think today we saw him just kind of start to maybe hit a wall and he looked very tired and, you know, he he just about got over the lap, like recovered in time to win the fifth set. And so, I mean, he, he and he, in his press conference, he called, um, he said, that Schwartzman may be the heavy favourite. That may be a bit dramatic and, you know, the <laughs> typical my games that players yeah. love to play. But, I mean, 
he's that I think I do think he's you know Schwartzman has been playing so well and I mean as you said you know he played so well in Rome and he, it's just great to see him bring that to Islam again and you know that his I don't think you don't get these options against Dominic team on clay where he he may not be a hundred percent sharp so it's a big big chance for him I think look I think that Schwartzman has a very real chance to win this next match against team. And I said mm-hmm. that before, and I also think that if the conditions play like this, uh, Schwartzman has a credible chance to challenge Rafael Nadal. Oh yeah, uh, in the in the in or center exactly. I think oh I think Schwartzman's a much tougher matchup in these conditions than center for. Oh Nadal. for sure, yeah, yeah. I say that as a center saint or whatever the fandom calls itself, I guess. But Schwartzman is keeping it rolling and it's been very very decisive, and so I. I, I think he's got a real shot of beating team. I'll be disappointed if that's not a competitive match. If team if team wins easy, I'll be disappointed for Diego. There. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, that, that would, yeah. But uh, we'll see. And maybe team maybe Schwartzman. I'm guessing he might be top ten with a win in this match. I'm guessing if he beats team, so that'd be a good breakthrough for him. I've not looked at the rankings. I'm kind of making that up completely. But let me see if that's right. It depends on Rublev's results as well. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so team and maybe. others, yeah, but uh, but tentatively he's number ten already, depending on Rublev. So yeah, actually, basically, it's already just. So, so if if he if he wins he, he'll he'll leap yeah he'll probably be top ten because he'll leap above Berrettini and Monfils. Assuming that like there's not like a title for Hachinov or Dimitrov or Carreno, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, or maybe Super Deep Run, but one of them. Uh, Tamani, thanks very much. Anything else you're particularly looking forward to uh, in tomorrow's matches? Let's say of the bottom half. Let's uh, let's do a quick read of the schedule. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the draw, Sitsipas versus Dimitrov. On the men's side, Rublev Fucevic, Krenia Busta versus Altmaier, and Djokovic versus Hachanov. And then we have on the women's side, we have Sigamund Bedosa, Kvitova Zhang, Fiona Farrow versus Sonia Kennan, and Anjabur versus Danielle Collins. There's a variety platter on that women's yeah. side. That's a lot of different that's a lot of different flavors of match there. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, on the women's side, I'm I'm just firstly I'm just very amused at the fact that we're in October and so- Sonia Kenin has the same slam record as Novak Djokovic. That's just that's probably <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic and that's the biggest shock of the year for me. And I she know. has a credible chance of you know I mean now the draw's open, she has a credible yeah. chance of <laughs> doing more. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm interested. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm interested to see. I think it's a big opportunity for Ons Jabeur. Mm-hmm. You know she she's been that. One of the high flying players, and she she enjoys clay, and clay enjoys her drop shot. So mm-hmm. you know that that could, you know, that's a big chance. It's a big chance. Honestly, it's a big chance for Kvitova. I was actually quite impressed with her um, against Leila Fernandez. The yeah. you know she was down five one, and she just started playing really. She played really well, but she was like problem solving, solving, and you know just thinking. And I, I'm I'm curious to see how far that takes her. Thoughts. Yeah, no, I think this like I would happily sit down and watch all four of these women's matches. I think that like Jabir Collins could be really fun. I I appreciate resurgent Collins. I think she's an interesting spectacle. Yeah, one thing that amused me about Jabir um, in her previous match against Sablink was like she was like I'm 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 not gonna I'm gonna be quiet because I don't exactly we talked about that yeah (laughs) yeah so I'm I'm guessing Jabir's gonna be like uh, the quietest human being in the world against Collins, not to, you know, shake the nest or, or, you know. Collins's affirmative screams of joy when she fended off an underhand serve from Monica Nicolescu in the first point. Yeah. Um, again, and you were saying, Tamani, I'm going to circle this name for you. I'm going to call you out on this, that there is a potential path in this tournament for someone we have not discussed, uh, Laura the Siege Siegemund. Like, <laughs> her i gotta say like things you know she beat her draw has been really not easy actually beating mladenovic uh controversially uh gerges <laughs> and then petra martic 6-0 in the third in the last round yeah. to get bedosa now arguably her easiest of, of the four opponents so far on paper uh and then potentially kvitovar zhang sigamund who won stuttgart in 2017 i believe uh and then tore her acl in nuremberg later that year so didn't get to really follow up that claim momentum. Now has momentum, and is doing, doing great. So she's someone I think is a is a credible dark horse here too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I mean everyone is right. 
<laughs> Everyone's exactly. a good player. Yeah, I think we could make a case for so many of these players to make the final. I would say I would be surprised if Zhang makes the final. Yeah. That would surprise me. But everything else, sure. All right. And there we go. That is the draw. Any, any, oh, men. Sorry, men. Yeah. <laughs> these matches seem pretty standard. Djokovic, Hachinov, Cranio, Altmaier. I want to watch Altmaier, actually. Yeah, I've, 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 I've really enjoyed Altmaier. He he played really well against um, Berrettini. He has a, yeah. a, a lot. Like, his set. back. Yeah, he has not lot to say. Yeah, but that's another one of those crazy stories of, you know, players coming. You know, he, he he's an, a really interesting story because he was a decent young player and then he got injured for like a whole year. He came back last year. He was unranked. And then he's just he slowly built himself up at, at ITFs and then challengers. And yeah, he, he, he really kind of took the moment against Berrettini. And I mean, I, I, it's a winnable match, Carreño Busta, as well as Carreño Busta has been playing. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the possibility of a Rublev Sitsipas redux. You know. Yeah, no, there could be some tasty quarters here. We get Rublev Sitsipas and then a rematch, unfinished business, Djokovic Karenia Busta. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about. I hadn't put Bring that together. Bring yeah. popcorn and a plate of armor. <laughs> for for all the lines, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's yeah on on Sitsipas and Rublev is. Given that they started the tournament when they they finished Hamburg when the tournament started, it's it's impressive to see that they both kind of recovered yeah. from two sets down and have just gone on and pushed on and adjusted and yeah, yeah. Um, Dimitrov in his first ever Roland Garros fourth round. No, yeah, good for him. Yeah, has not been yeah. a great Paris player previously. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, got, he had, not, a, he, had he, not an unfriendly draw. Yeah, he had a very good draw. But yeah, rare and then Martin. And then retiring tired Carbias yeah. Baena. That's pretty good. Yeah. But this is it's just good not to see him leaving miserable for once, which has been, just been the yearly That is nice. You know, tradition. So yeah, it could be a, it could be a, a you know, if you're a one handed backhand aficionado, that's Dimitrov says a pass match will be good for you. This was good for all of us listening to you, Tamani. Thank you for being on the show once more. Follow you at Tim Carriol on Twitter, all your good guarding stuff. Go check out the headshot with the turtleneck. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and it's it's turtle next season now, so That's I'm right. sure there'll be more to come. Ah, turtle next season slam. That's lovely. <laughs> all right, Tamani, thank you very much. And we also, while I'm here, thank all our Patreon supporters. We have our Patreon slam champ backers. We thank every episode: Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leigh Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W, Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, as well as our goat backers: Nicole Copeland, Christopher Bishop, Mike. J-O-D and Charles Cena. No new backers to pour since our last episode, I don't believe, but if you want to become one and hear your name on the next show, we are at patreon.com slash no challenges running. Tumani, thank you very much. Go put on a turtleneck. It's, I'm sure it's chilly out there. And we'll see you later. Thanks for having me. Turtleneck and chain. Turtleneck and chain. Turtleneck and chain. Sipping on a light beer. Turtleneck and chain. Turtleneck and chain. Turtleneck and chain. Sipping on a light Turtleneck fat and my chain so thin And I'm sipping light beer and my crew right here Chain razor thin, light beer in my cup And my sweater on turtle with the neck on puff Huge turtleneck and my chain so skinny Beer light all night, stand up, get dizzy Light cup, beer, drink thin, so chain neck Turtle fat, man, I won't say it again